Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we are set to kickstart a new week, a week that will have us re-engaging the book of Genesis uh, today and tomorrow, Wednesday. I have to apologize. Last week there was a, a trip up in our scheduling. I was hoping to start our new series with Father Mike on exploring Christ and cinema and books, but that did not get started for a reason we could not control. So this Wednesday, Father Mike will be join, joining me to explore that great theme of finding Christ in our movies and, and literature. And Thursday, we will continue a special topic Thursday, an evening that is tailored to your questions, right? So uh, that is our new programming, and I'm excited because it does have us in the book of Genesis on Mondays and Tuesdays. This very, very rich book that with it has us asking so many questions, so many questions. In our first week last week, a number of you got back to me asking questions. So while I know a number of you are anxious to get into the verses, I do want to address some more topical questions. And God willing, we will get in that first verse today, okay? But like I said, there are some topical questions to answer. Uh, The first of which is, you know, why does Genesis give us two names for God? Why does Genesis give us two names for God? Maybe some of us are unaware of this, but there are two creation accounts in Genesis. <laughs> now, if you are hearing this for the first time, don't worry. It's not because God didn't get it right the first time. There's something deeper going on. So the book of Genesis begins with two accounts of creation. The first is grand in scope and, and majestic in tone. It stresses the lordship of God over all things and really describes his actions as an almighty voice that brings the world into being. This is what we will read in chapter 1, verse 1, up to chapter 2, verse 4. The second creation account is narrower in focus and much more intimate in its description It really emphasizes the closeness of the Lord to his creation, and it describes his actions in more, we could say, human-like terms. While it is possible that these were once independent accounts having different dates of origin, their juxtaposition in Genesis really makes for a balanced description of God's uh, transcendence and imminence in relation to the world. So, we could put it another way. The second creation account is kind of a zooming in of the first creation account. What would be an example of this? Genesis chapter uh, 1, verse 26, we read, Let us make man in our image and likeness. And then in the second creation account, we get some of the detail to what that looked like, right? Uh, Man was formed out from the dust. Woman came from the side of man. So there's uh, some detail there. There is a zooming in. Now, let us get to that question. Why does Genesis give us, offer us two names for God? 
A very important question because anytime you see something like that in sacred scripture, there's always a reason. Understand something when you interpret sacred scripture. There is intentionality, there is reasoning, there is meaning behind every word, every verse, especially when you cast it in the light of other verses and other chapters. So in the first creation account, we have God who is exclusively referred to by the name Elohim. Elohim. However, from Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, and really for the remainder of chapter 2, we have God called by this compound name Yahweh Elohim. So why are there two different names for God? Well, first we need to emphasize that Scripture is unified in its teaching, and that there is only one God who exists, all right? <laughs> Let us first establish that. What do we read in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. The Shema of Israel, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. How about Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6? Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and there is no God besides me. So it is in that united testimony of sacred scripture that we can come to conclude that only one God has real substance and no other gods exist. This is essential because we can get in this mindset that, well, if there's two different references to God, then maybe there might be two gods. Well, no, there's only one God. Now, why the different emphasis? Well, the answer to this often asked question is quite simple. The Bible uses two separate names for God in the first two chapters of Genesis to really describe different characteristics or, or attributes of the one God. The reason for the differences in name really have to do with the emphasis the author is making. So, in the first creation account, Elohim is speaking to something very specific to what Elohim means. That is, God as creator. So, it emphasizes God's power, if you will. What did I just speak to? How the, the first creation account is grand in scope. It is majestic in tone. It describes his lordship. Lordship, Lord is a word we get from the Greek, kyrios, right? Power force. But if this was all that God was, then something would be terribly lacking. Why? Because God is Father, right? God is Father. And this is what we have in that second name, Yahweh. Yahweh is God's personal name and is often used, as it is in the second creation account, in the context of God having a relationship with his people. So when God goes about creating humanity, it is God who is creator. When the Lord is personally involved with his people, Yahweh is the proper way to designate this, designate this name. Essentially, we have God who is creator, but then also God who is father. Something else here to really get at the heart of this question is the sequence. God creates so as to father. God creates so as a father. And we, my friends who are fathers, but more generally parents, 
get the deeper meaning of this. I have often said that one of the most powerful experiences in my life, if not the most powerful experience in my life, is when I held my son in my arms for the first time. It was so extraordinary to share in God's creative power. And yet at the same time, my friends, to come to a deeper understanding of who I am as I share in God's own fatherhood. Something just came over me as I looked down upon my oldest child. Suddenly, a whole new world was open to me. And I'm not talking here about all those things we worry about as a parent. You know, when a park opens and closes, what school is my kid going to go to, all that kind of stuff. No, I'm talking about suddenly I have this gift, something that has come from me that I have been entrusted with. And now I have a new name, Father, Father. So as I enter into who I am as a father, I can only do that insofar as I create, right? God creates Elohim so as to Father. Why does Genesis give us two names for God, offer us two names for God, that we might discover that there's a deeper truth to who God is as just not creator, but also as Father. God just isn't some impersonal magnetic force up there creating. No, He is love, and He fathers. Amen? Amen. And we share, <laughs> just not in that creation, but also what it means to be Father, what it means to parent and journey with children. Such an extraordinary experience. Okay, what about that second question? Why does God create? That's a great question, right? <laughs> Did God need to create? No, he didn't need to create. He had absolute love. What's more, the sum total of love in himself. So why did he create? Did he create because he needed to create? No. He didn't create for creation's sake. He created so as to manifest his glory. So God creates not to add upon creation, but rather to manifest what is already there, what is already total and perfect. Okay? Okay. All right, what more could be said about these creation accounts before we get into the verses themselves? Well, we should say that the first creation account affirms a cosmic event at the beginning of history, right? It offers neither a literal nor a scientific description of how the world was made. Rather, my friends, the first creation account asserts theological truths about God in a symbolic way. I know I talked about this Tuesday, but I echo that here. Because the account should not be interpreted as a kind of revealed timetable about the actual historical sequence of creation, nor should the author's pre scientific view of the cosmos be mistaken for divinely inspired teaching about the physical constitution of the natural world. I know we have the tendency to kind of fall into that trap. We will talk much more about this in the upcoming days and weeks, but we can begin to detect what creation is all about by the word day itself. The word day in Hebrew is yom. It's not concerned with what is linear, 
what is chronological. It literally translates as purpose. So time not defined by clocks as much as defined by purpose. So God creates with purpose. This, my friends, should be a poignant lesson for each and every one of us, that we might come to appreciate the significance of what it means to live from one day to the next, not just to pass time or, dare I say, kill time. I hate that phrase. I hate that phrase because time is a gift. Time is something that should be what? Purpose-driven, not something to kill, so to speak, rather a gift to be offered to God. So day is about purpose-driven time, and this should be something that we should be reminded of from time to time, okay? All right, what else could we say? Well, the Ignatius commentary here has a list of eight bullet points that I want to touch upon that really speak, I think, beautifully to eight uh, tenets that we need to be aware of as we begin to engage creation. And so I'll just go through these and then offer up a few words. The first of which is this, the entire universe owes its existence to God as creator and Lord. Okay, the entire universe owes its creation to God as creator and Lord. So what did I just say about uh, the one God? The story of creation does not deal with multiple gods or a confused God, but the one God who is creator, Lord, but also Father, right? Also uh, Yahweh, right? Second, each and every part of creation is good in the eyes of God. The Hebrew word for good is a tov, a tov. It's an interesting word because while it means good, it can also mean beautiful, uh, what is true. So what you have in the Hebrew word for good, tov, has us already contemplating the transcendentals of, of God himself, what is true, good, and beautiful. Right? So when we read that what he created is good, what he created then is also true, and most especially beautiful. What is good, my friends, is always true and always beautiful. Isn't that something exciting? We can't just sit here and say, well, that's good if it's not true or if it's ugly, right? It's only good if it's true and beautiful. And so if something's good, then it is also what? But attractive, attractive. This is why when you talk about evangelization, what is beautiful, good, and true is always so important. Sometimes we put an overemphasis on truth. Truth is quintessential for sure, but we never emphasize truth to the point where we become ugly or there's an absence of good. No, because then it, then it ceases to be truth, really, the full expression of truth. So what is good is true and beautiful, attractive, Each and every part of creation is good in the eyes of God, true in the eyes of God, beautiful in the eyes of God. Third, God established a hierarchy among created things as seen in the ascending movement of the account. So we move from inanimate things to animate creatures to the human race. And of course, the human race is the crown jewel of the material world. 
Now, fourth here, creation shows forth the power of God who speaks the universe into existence. The wisdom of God who arranges all things into a symphony of natural beauty and harmony and the goodness of God who bestows life and blessing gratuitously. So here in this fourth piece, we begin to tap into, my friends, the theological implications of the story of creation, right? So we have the power of God, the wisdom of God, and the goodness of God. And once again, as we have the power, the, the, the wisdom, and the goodness, what do we have? But the manifestation of God who is Elohim, but also Yahweh, okay? How about the, the fifth bullet point here? Well, I think this is really, really important when you start getting into apologetics because the fifth bullet point highlights how the creation story exhibits an apologetic interest in countering the mythological worldviews of the ancient Near East. So the fifth point here, my friends, really gets into the intention of the author, you know, who he was writing to. We see that according to pagan myths, really a pantheon of deities existed in the beginning. So there was this idea that the gods were embodied in nature and had human-like needs and, and imperfections. The world being born out of a, a struggle between the gods, right? And man was only created to be exploited by the gods. In contrast, what the author of Genesis and the story of creation wants us to see is that what? Only one God exists and that he stands outside of time, that he is altogether distinct from the natural world, and that he blessed mankind, making man the bearer of his image. How important is that? In addition to this, and really highlighting our last three points, is the seven-day structure of the account, and how it affords us, once again, a deeper understanding of what God wants us to see theologically. And remember what we intend to mean when we use that word, theology. Faith-seeking understanding. My dear friends, sacred scripture is the inspired word of God, right? And if we are seeking understanding into our faith, then we go to the inspired word of God so as to, what, better understand our faith. And here in the story of creation, in its seven-day structure account, we have insights to be gained. Uh, first of all, how the six days of work followed by one day of rest underscores what? But the obligation of man to lay aside his labor at least for one day and honor the Creator every seventh day. What else here? Well, the founding of the world in seven days also parallels the building of the tabernacle according to uh, Moses' seven commands and the dedication of the temple in seven days after seven years of construction. So we see the significance of the seventh day. Also, we read that the description of God resting on the seventh day has links with ancient concepts of a temple which is considered a place of divine rest. So the creation week in Genesis thus really, my friends, reflects the belief that the world is a cosmic sanctuary. A cosmic sanctuary. We read in the prophet Ezekiel how the temple became the center of the earth because, well, it is where you went to worship God. 
So you have this idea of land, creation, earth being uh, this place of offering up. What else here? Well, the seven days of divine speech really hint that God established a covenant with creation. Uh, Not only does the Hebrew word for seven share a common root with the verb for swearing a covenant, but in later Jewish tradition, God is said to have founded the world through his oath, right? What is going on here? Well, remember that the word for seven, when you break down the Hebrew, Shavuot, literally means to swear an oath, to seven oneself. So we read, for example, a swearing of an oath between Abraham and Abimelech. And when there was this oath swearing, there was an exchange of seven ewe lambs. So there is this exchange of seven ewe lambs, and once there was seven ewe lambs, they could bind themselves to one another. Okay, they could swear an oath. They could shavah. So shavah, to seven oneself or to swear an oath. Why does the number seven uh, refer to what is perfect in the Hebrew mind? Because it is the number that belongs to the covenant. And my dear friends, if you have been a faithful listener to this radio program, you know well, (laughs) you know well the significance of covenant life with God. To enter into a covenant relationship with God is to enter into a relationship with things? No, God. We often define covenant making by what? This is yours and this is mine. With God, covenant relationship with God, it is I am yours and you are mine. But as the Old Testament reveals, all of the covenant making ceremonies are tied to sacrifice. Okay? From Noah to Abraham to Moses to David, you entered into covenant relationship with God once you offered your holocaust to God. So it is. <laughs> this seven days of divine speech indeed hint that God established a covenant with creation, which was intended to be a what but a cosmic sanctuary where we offer our very lives to God. So some rich theological implications here, and certainly theological implications that we will really get into as we go through the book of Genesis. All right, before we wrap up this evening, I would be remiss if we did not actually get into the first verse. So (laughs) what can we say about this first verse? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, in the beginning, the moment when time and space burst into existence by a creative act of God. The date of the event we know, as I've already touched upon, cannot be ascertained from uh, the biblical data. So, don't even waste your time. But, that being said, there is some significance In the Hebrew here, uh, the Hebrew expression uh, created hints at God's unique ability to create ex nihilo, uh, which simply means out of nothing, without reliance on pre existing materials. This is how creation came to be understood in Jewish, Jewish, and Christian theology. Okay, so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth, the totality of creation, which, my friends, doesn't just include all things seen, 
but all things seen and unseen. This just doesn't include that which is material, but all things seen and unseen, material as well as spiritual. Huh? Maybe we fail in our take on creation because we don't consider, we don't consider that the story of creation isn't just about the material, isn't just about what we see, but also what we don't see, right? Also the heavens, also that which belongs to the spiritual. You work for six days, you work with your hands in the material world for six days, but I hallow the seventh day. I hallow the seventh day. Okay, we will talk much, much more about this tomorrow just by way of postscript. Now, what do we read in John chapter 1, verse 1? But in the beginning, in the beginning. Isn't it fascinating that John traces the origin of the word into eternity past? where God the Son was present with God the Father before time itself began. John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So this opening verse of John is a direct allusion to the opening verse of the Bible. As in Genesis 1, the evangelist draws attention to what? But light, darkness, life, and the spoken Word that brought all things into existence. Certainly, my friends, it is at the very least in John chapter 1, verse 1, implied that the universe, once created through the Word of God, as we just read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, is now being renewed through that same Word come in the flesh as Jesus Christ. How beautiful is that? Amen? Amen. All right, let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.